let's, uh, let's start with this idea of where we are in the whole scope of things with God. You know, I had this thought. When we speak the impossible, we have a greater likelihood of finding the impossible or for being done than when we don't speak the impossible. Would you agree with that? Yep. <clears throat> Let me try it one more time. <laughs> when we speak the impossible, when we ask God to do the impossible, we have a greater likelihood of God doing the impossible than when we don't. Agreed? All right, so what we want to do is we want to condition ourselves in the spiritual realm to speak that which we want to see God do. In the book of Romans, chapter 4 and verse 17, the Bible says that Abraham called those things that were not as though they are. We like to put it like this. You've got to say something so when it's not so in order for it to be so. That's faith. Calling those things that are not into being. In other words, exercising faith in a powerful way. So let's think about this thought. Speak the impossible. What is it in your life that you know if it happened, it could only be traced back to God? You look at your life, you say, well, I'm alive, I'm breathing. So are a lot of people. Well, I'm unique. Everybody's unique. What is it about you that you've pushed into a realm of of the impossible unless God comes through. In other words, what is God doing that can only be explained by faith? That's the realm we want to begin to move in in our life. Let me put it another way. You have to move God into your situation. Oftentimes what we're doing is we're trying to figure life out and instead of just saying, God, I don't know what to do, I give up on it, would you move into my situation? God, would you just begin to overflow? Would you push out of my life what doesn't need to be there so that all that's left really is me dependent on you using the best gifts that I have for your kingdom purpose? We want to move God in. And then we want to do this. We want to make an audacious request to God. Now, here's, a, here's an audacious, here's a non-audacious request. God is pray you'll bless me today. Bold. Oh, that's a bold prayer, isn't it? God, I want you to bless me today. What kind of blessing do you want? God's going, what do you want? You know, one of the blessings of Scripture is, in the Bible, is when someone gets pregnant. I don't want that blessing. <laughs> you see, what kind of blessing do you want to see God do in your life? Have you narrowed it down and said, God, this is the kind of blessing I want? How about this one? Dear Lord, I want to thank you for this food. Amen. Okay? That's all you got? I think God's going, is that all you've got? Often thought it would be a better idea to pray at the end and thank God for the food and see if it really was worthy of, of eating. <laughs> oh, yes, that was good food. Thank you, God, for that food. Now, when you pray, now maybe it's a prayer of faith. I'm praying for the food so that it's going to be transformed in the process, and what looks like it's not going to be a good meal is going to turn into a good meal. My mom was notorious for making bad meals. Notorious. She, could, she was a great cook, but she had this theory of everything that was left over could be made into something else, could be combined multiple times over, and voila, we have, I don't know, a masterpiece. It wasn't good. Mom, it wasn't good. How'd you like it? I hated it. You got anything new? I mean, none of my friends wanted to come over because you know what? Mom was going to have leftover stuff. All right, well, let's go to the Bible now. Let's go to the book of Joshua, chapter 10. I'm going to give you one of the most audacious requests in Scripture, undoubtedly. 
made by this warrior by the name of Joshua. Joshua has taken over the reins from Moses. He is now the commander-in-chief, and his primary task is going to be war. He's going to go in and take the land, set up the, the kingdom of Israel, and he is going to be the warrior for God. So let's pick up the story. If you have your Bibles, let's look together. Joshua chapter 10 and beginning in verse 7. Joshua 10, beginning in verse 7. This is a, a really, really great section of Scripture. So it says, Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them, for I have given them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So here's what he says. All right, now Joshua's out of breath. He's, he's on this journey with these men. He's come a long way. He's gone uphill, and all of a sudden God says, hey, don't worry. I know you're out of breath. I know you're, you're looking every direction for the enemy, but I don't want you to not fear. Why would God say to Joshua, don't fear? Because he feared. Because God saw into his heart, and he said, I see in you a heart of fear, Joshua. You shouldn't be afraid in this situation, but you are. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you, mighty warrior, don't fear. I'm going to say this. God is saying the same thing to you. He looks into your heart and he sees some areas of fear. And here's what he's saying. Don't fear. What is it you're afraid of? You're afraid of your future? You're afraid of your health? You're afraid of tomorrow? What is it you're afraid of? He says, don't fear. In other words, what he wants to do is push fear out so that God can take and establish a stronghold of strength there for you and of power for you. So he says here, don't fear. Joshua, therefore, came upon them suddenly. Now notice what it says here in, in verse 9. And the Lord said unto him, do not fear, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. Joshua, therefore, came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. Now he's physically drained. It's late. He's probably tired. Probably every thought known to man was racing through his mind. And it says here in verse 9, Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly. In other words, he wasn't prepared for them. He didn't know that they were there. So the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them along the road that goes down to Beth Horon, and struck them down as far as uh, Ezekah and uh, Mekedah. And hard words, aren't they? I mean, imagine these guys trying to say placentia, though. Really, you know? So the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them along the road that goes down to Beth Haran, struck them down as far as it goes to Ezekah and Medica, and it happened as they fled before Israel and on the descent to Beth Haran that the Lord cast down large hailstorms from heaven uh, on them as far as uh, Ezekah, and they died. And there were more who died from the hailstones than from the children of Israel killed with the sword. Now, all of a sudden, we see a miracle. If that, if it wasn't, if that was stopped right there, we'd have, say, this is a cool story. That's what I want. I want God to drop some hailstones on my enemies. Amen? You know what's amazing about this story is that one of the miracles here is that the, the, the God had the ability to kill the right people. Now, just think about this. If hailstones are coming... How do you direct them so the right guys get taken out? I want you to know, when you're in the middle of the battle, God knows exactly how to take out the problems of your life without damaging you in the process. 
Now that's really powerful if you stop and think about it. Because chaos can be floating all around you and yet God knows exactly how to take out the right situation at the right time, at the right place. God has a purpose. God has a plan. God has a destiny for your life and he will direct your path. So it goes on to tell us here, as we move through this story, in verse 12, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel. Now here's really interesting. When you go public with your faith, it gets scary, doesn't it? This is what God is going to do. And then everybody remembers that. Hey, how's that going? How, is God doing what you said? You know, and you just kind of want, you see him coming. God hadn't come through yet. You dodge him. You move around into another hallway. Oh, no, here they come. They're going to ask me about my faith declaration. You see, that's part of the fight of faith. You start out with the declaration of faith. This is what God is going to do. Well, the next stage is the fight of faith. You've got to be in the battle because every day the enemy's going to come and say, God's not coming through. God's not going to do that. That was stupid. Why did you open your mouth in the first place? Don't let that deter you. The fight of faith is critical because the fight of faith happens before the calm of faith. You see, a calm comes that says, I don't know how God's going to do this. I don't know what God's going to do. I don't know how it's all going to come together, but I'm going to trust God regardless of what I see, regardless of what I feel, regardless of all the indicators that are around me. I refuse to doubt God. I'm going to trust God in the midst of that storm. That's the kind of faith we want to be uh, walking in and living in. And so notice what it says here. Here's what he says. Son, stand still over Gibeon. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a pretty big ask of God. God, here's the problem. We're in the middle of a battle. We're just about to win this battle, but the sun's going down. When it gets dark, we don't have any night vision. We're not going to know who, who the enemy is. We could kill each other. We need just a little bit more daylight. A little bit more daylight. You say, is that a miracle? Is that just a, is that just a, a myth? Is that a, an allegory? What is that? I can only believe what I read. There was a miracle there. Now, we're going to talk about miracles a little bit more in detail in just a moment, but let's finish the story. And here's what he says. He says, sun stands still over Gibeon and moon in the valley of Agilon. So, verse 13, the sun stood still, the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasser? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven, did not hasten to go down for about a whole day, and there has been no day like that before or after, that the Lord heeded the voice of man, for the Lord fought for Israel, and Joshua returned and all of Israel with him to the camp in Gilgal. Well, that's a miracle of epic proportions. Would we all agree? I mean, if you're in that situation and that happens, you really don't doubt God. But maybe you doubt that miracle. C.S. Lewis was professor of, of medieval literature at Oxford, and he came to faith in Christ really just through this investigation of all the claims of God. He wrote a book called Miracles. It was really kind of a, an outgrowth of the losing of his wife. And here's what he said about miracles. I want you to grab hold of this. If we admit God, must we admit miracles? Indeed, indeed. You have no security against it. That is the bargain. Theology says to you, in effect, admit God and with him risk a few miracles. 
See, here's what he said. If you're going to say there is a God, then that God is capable of more than you are and more than you expect. He's capable of going beyond what seems to be probable, what seems to be natural, and move you into the supernatural. You can't separate that. See, we live in a world that we believe this, the Christian, Judeo-Christian worldview is that this world is open to supernatural intervention. It's not closed. It's not just a bunch of people on planet are trying to figure it out. That there is this interaction that goes on with God in this world system we live in, and God comes up and shows up in unexpected times and places and works miracles that cannot be explained. When we think about miracles, what comes to your mind? Well, first of all, out of the ordinary. Miracles have to be something out of the ordinary. You typically, things work this way, but God somehow intervened, and the only explanation we have is this. I wish I would have recorded from my early days of ministry every time someone came back from a doctor and the doctor said this, quote, unquote, very close to this every time. There is no explanation. If you believe in God, then this is indeed a miracle. Because scientifically, I cannot explain it. I wish I'd have written all those down and had all of those in one place so I could just go back and see all that the hand of God has done. We also say of a miracle, it's an act of God. It's not an act of man. That God somehow got involved in such a way that you knew it was God's direct intervention in that situation. Miracles also bring glory to God. It's not to man. I can't take credit for what God does. I have to give glory to God. I'd like to take credit in my humanness, but I'm, ref but I'm re refused that because of faith and walking by faith. But here's the other thing, and here's the key. There's always a message in a miracle. There is always a message contained in that miracle. And what you have to do is you have to look deep and say, the miracle is not just you were sick and now you're well. The message is you are a testimony for the glory of God. That your life now becomes a leverage point for the kingdom of God. That you are a change agent in your family, in society, at your work, wherever you are. There is a message there. Don't lose the message in the whole process of what you're doing. When you look at Joshua's story, here's the thought that comes to my mind. Determine. Determine to take ground and win big. You know what I see in Joshua? He was tenacious, wasn't he? You know, he wanted, he wanted victory so bad. He was determined, I'm going to take ground and I'm not going to win small. Determined to take ground and win big. Can I just ask you to say this with me? I want to win big. Will you say that? I want to win big for God's glory. Well, what's wrong with that? You say, well, I don't really like that. Okay, how about this one? I'd like to lose big. You want that one? How about I'd like to, lose, I'd like to win small? I'd like to win in such a way that it doesn't get noticed and God doesn't get the glory and I just am able to function as a human being until I die and, and then it's all over and it'll be awesome. That's how we live, though. That is the mantra we live by so often. We're not pushing outside of the realm of us. Let me take you back to Joshua chapter 1 and verses 3 through 6. Here's how Joshua got into this thing. You know, it's always good to go back and say, how did I start this faith journey? Let me renew my faith. And in Joshua chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, it says, God says, every, every place the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness of Lebanon 
as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, the great sea, toward the going down of the sun. Just pause with me and think for a moment what he just said. Till the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so will I be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and be of good courage. I think that Joshua, in Joshua 10, remembered what God said in Joshua chapter 1. He said, I'm going to give you territory till the going down of the sun. And Joshua said, wait a minute, chapter 10, wait a minute. We're in a battle. If the sun goes down, we're going to lose territory. God, we need a miracle. We need some more time. We need to be able to take all that you have for us. God, we want to see you work in our life in that way. Till the going down of the sun. You see, God is ready to act on your behalf. But are you bold enough to ask of God? Can I just tell you, in this two-year journey, there have been more than one occasion where I have sat back and after I've made some bold statement of faith, I've sat back when I'm all alone and said, oh, Phil, you're stupid. Why did you do that? Why did you say that? But there's a spiritual side of me that says that's the way life should be. You have to live this faith life. You have to push out because otherwise it's just common Christianity. We get up, we go to church, we evaluate the music, evaluate the preaching, evaluate the nursery, evaluate everything else. We go home and say, I think I can do better because I'm a consumer. I'm not really a follower of Jesus and I'm going to go down that road. Who wants that? If that were Christianity, I'd go get a different job because that's not exciting to me. What's exciting to say, I want to be on the verge of seeing what God can do. I want to be a part of a miracle-working God. Easy faith produces little. The gutsy kind of faith, the kind that smiles at impossibilities is rare, and it's hard to find. And it's uncomfortable, folks. i got to tell you, it's uncomfortable. In my own life, I have rarely taken a big risk, a big step of faith, unless someone challenged me to do it. Think about your faith. Somebody said, are you going to trust God or not? And that just, sometimes it makes you mad. Well, who are you to tell me to trust God? And then deep down you go, I know who he is. He's trying to challenge me to do something great. Everything I've done that's significant, somebody challenged me to do it. I took the challenge and I moved forward in my life. What if this was the challenge I gave you today? Why don't you make your boldest move, God move right now today? What would that look like? What's your boldest God move right now today? What would that look like? You can't believe God for what you don't know what you're believing God for. So what would it be? If you wrote it down and say, this would be my boldest God move today, what would that look like? Until you can write it down, until you can see it, until you can pray it, don't expect to receive it. You have to have a bold move. When I wrote down and we were talking in finance and board and and said, "What what is the really... In different terminology, what would be the boldest, the boldest God move you could make in this whole campaign? I said $2 million. I don't even know how that's possible. But that's not my job. My job is only to figure out what God's up to and join him in the process. Amen? You see, that's, that, if, when you'll understand that, God, I'm going to get out there on the edge and say, this is what we're really believing you for. You know, I believe in a point of faith. This is a, this is a card that some of you have received as you went out into a packet, and it's, it's really just a commitment card between you and God for you to take home and pray over. 
And I, and I realize that when I take this card, when my wife and I take this card and we put our hand on it, we say, God, we only want to do what you want us to do. We don't want to do what, what economics say. We just want to do what you want us to do. Would you show us what you want us to do? And that's all we're asking you to do in this process. God, you just speak to me. You pray about it. What God shows you, then do that. You say, what if God shows me to do nothing? Then do nothing. What if God shows me to do 10 times what I can afford? Then you do whatever God tells you to do. But you better figure out how to do it. You better say, God, I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to let the resources come in. I'm going to let you work in my life. You see, here's, here's the truth. We have to raise the level of risk. Now listen to this. We have to raise the level of risk in order to move into the realm of mountain-moving faith. Jesus didn't get the disciples to speak to the mountain on the first day. He spent years with them, and all of a sudden he says, you see that mountain? Speak to the mountain and it will move, it will obey you. Imagine if he had said that on day one. Hey, come follow me and make you fishers of men. And by the way, you see that mountain over there? Just speak to it, it'll move. They thought, this guy is totally out there. We're not going anywhere with this Jesus guy. He's a radical. He's, his thinking is off base. He might even be crazy. But he brought them through a process. And, and all of a sudden, they walk along and they see somebody who's healed of leprosy. All of a sudden, they, they go along and they see someone who's healed of a physical ailment. They see someone who's got a demon removed. And their faith is building, it's damming up, if you will. It's starting to, to grow and get bigger and bigger and bigger. And all of a sudden, he says, okay, guys, let me tell you something. You see that mountain? I think you're ready for a mountain-moving kind of faith. God is taking us on a journey. God's not going to thrust you from, you know, God bless this food today, to move the mountain in one minute. You've got to say, I've got to be in this process. How, what am I doing to get out on the edge to see God work? Here's what God said in Deuteronomy 28 Verses 12 and 13, if you want to look in your scripture. The Lord will open to you his good treasure. Is that true or false? True. Okay, let's try it again. Is that true or false? True. Try it one more time. Is that true or false? True. You see, what you say about that verse tells me about your idea of God. Do you believe God is the God who will open to you his good treasure? All right, now watch. The heavens to give rain to your land in its season, to bless all the work of your hand, and the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. I love the way God speaks, don't you? Would you want to be the head or the tail? Let's try it again. You want to be the head or the tail? The head. Why? Because heads are just nicer than tails, right? Right? I mean, let's just be practical here. God makes it very practical. He says, all right, you're running down the road. Do you want to be the head dog or do you want to be looking at all the tails? It's not a good view. He says, get out in front. Let me lead you. Let me take you down a road. I want you to be the head and not the tail. And God says to him, I'm going to open the heavens to the good treasure. I want you to understand I'm a good God who loves you. And you've been putting barricades in front of my blessings in your life. Take away the barricades. Let me do what I do best. Let faith captivate you. What captivates you? What grabs your attention? Let faith captivate. I'm captivated with faith. I want more faith. I want to move into a deeper realm of faith. I want to see God work. I want to give God all the glory. It's not about the stuff. It's not about what God does for me. No, it's I'm captivated with faith. Captivated. 
Be determined in all that you do. Take ground and win big for the kingdom of God. That is the message God has for us. You see, Joshua engaged in a battle against a fierce enemy. He was engaged, he was a warrior, but he needed more time in order to have complete victory in his life. Can I say to you, you need to tell God, you need more time. God, I need more time. God, I need more time. I've wasted time in the past, and now I'm ready to get serious with God. I need more time, God. I need to use my time better. I need to see the hand of God working in my life. God, I need more time. There was a king named Hezekiah. You read about him in 2 Kings chapter 20. And Hezekiah was this king who, who got the message he was going to die. He went to the wall. He began to pray and said, oh God, spare my life. You know what God did? He extended his life 15 years. Now let me tell you a funny part of this story. In that 15-year window, he became the father of Manasseh. Manasseh was that most evil king in the Bible. You say, now God got it all mixed up. If God would have just stopped old Hezekiah's life right there, he wouldn't have been the father of Manasseh, and Israel would have been spared a lot of evil. Oh, but God had a plan. You see, God doesn't see things on little windows of one week, one year, or even 15 years. God sees the big picture. If you open up your Bible to the genealogy of Jesus, guess who's in the genealogy of Jesus? Manasseh. God said, I got a plan that will even override the evil workings of Manasseh. I got a, I've got my only son named Jesus who's going to come, be born of a virgin, die on a cross, rise from the dead to give eternal life to everyone. God had a plan. Everything God is doing, he's doing in a plan. Things right now in your life that seem insignificant, God is working a plan. God has a purpose. You may not like what's going on right now. You may not understand what's going on right now, but God has a purpose and God has a plan. Do not get critical. Do not get uh, uh, depressed about what's not working right now. You just keep trusting God. Tell God you need more time. And then tell God you need some time back. You need the time back that the locusts have eaten. You need time back if you're going to do what you need to do in this life. You know, as a pastor, people always come to me, man, I wish I would have done this, wish I would have done that. Well, it's too late. Now, what are you going to do today with God? What if God could give you back some of the time you wasted? That was the promise of Joel chapter 2 and verse 25. Here's what it says. I will restore to you the years. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust. The chewing locust. Notice what God says. He says, okay, I'm going to give you back because, you see, in your life, sometimes you've got problems that just seem to keep crawling at you. I'm going to give you back those kind of feelings and those kind of years. I'm going to give you back those years that you've been eaten alive with bitterness, with difficulty, with broken relationships, with bad decisions. I'm going to give you back those that have been eaten away. I'm going to give you back those that have consumed and taken from you everything that you had, everything you thought was valuable. I'm going to give that back to you. And those things that chew away at you, little bit, just gnawing away, gnawing away. You know, it's someone said, you know, it, it's easier to be eaten by a shark than nibbled by minnows. And sometimes we just go through life little by little eating away. God says, I can restore unto you the years that all those locusts have eaten. For Joshua, the only solution was a miracle. 
God provided a miracle. He prolonged the day so that Joshua could persevere and win. Joshua made his most audacious request. Joshua spoke the impossible in the middle of the battle. Joshua moved God into his situation. God God showed Joshua he could call out his destiny, his future. Call out your destiny. Say, God, what you have for me, that's what I want. God, I don't want to be satisfied with anything less. Joshua did not ask God to do the fighting for him. Watch this. He asked God that he would give him the opportunity to fight for him. Would you pray and ask God to give you the opportunity to fight for him? Would you ask God to give you back some time so you could live for him? Would you ask God to restore some things back in your life so you could make a difference for him? So one day you could look back on your heritage. One day you could look back on your legacy and you could say it was there on that day on March 16th that I made a decision. I was going to get it back. I'm going to take back what's been taken. I'm going to take back what I've given over to the enemy without even a fight. Take it back. Ask God to give you all those things that you need to function in the kingdom. Let me give you a few life applications. Here's the first one. Act on what God has shown you. During this message, God's shown you something. What's he shown you? Act on it. Act on it. I'm going to do that, God. Write it down. You will forget. Men tend to to not move into better behavior over time. Let me say it again. Men tend not to move into better behavior over time. It's now sinking in. The wives are going like this. You see? It's what I've been telling you for years. That was mankind, ladies. The guys are happy now. And by the way, I need to correct my brother Rick. He said, I feel like putting on a skirt, painting my face blue. I was referring to Braveheart. That's an important part of that story, Rick. Are you kidding me? I'm glad God brought that back to my mind right now so I could clarify that. Because Lord only knows what I'd look like in a skirt with my face painted blue. Not good. Not good at all. What has God shown you? Write it down. Write it down. Put it in your phone and say, that's what I'm going to act on because God moved me in that way. Join the movement. Join a movement that's, that what God is up to. Get in that divine flow of what God is up to. Let God work with you and in you. You know, two weeks ago when we were having our men's Bible study and we were packed wall to wall there, had over 100 men in our coffee shop back there, and, and, and you could just feel the vibe. You could feel like there was a movement there. There was an excitement and energy there because you know what? We were taking some ground as men for our families on our jobs and other places. We were saying we want to be men of God. We're going to take a solid hour and a half of studying the Scripture because we need it because men tend not to move into better behavior over time. Also, be strong and be brave and move with God. You have to tell yourself to be strong. You have to tell yourself to be brave. You have to tell yourself to be courageous. It doesn't come naturally. Ask any hero of any war. They will tell you the same thing. They had never exhibited that kind of courage before in their life. Something in that situation said, I have to make a decision to make a courageous act right now. 
Every one of them came down to a decision. This is either me or the enemy. This is either me, my friends. There's something's got to happen. I've got to change. And they reached deep down inside of them. And they made a courageous stand. And they did something that changed sometimes the course of a whole battle or of the war. I'm going to ask you to reach deep down inside of you. I want you to do a courageous thing. As God shows you what that thing is, I want to ask you to do that for his glory and for his honor. That's going to look different for every one of us. It's going to feel different for every one of us. It's going to challenge us in different ways. Every single one of us are going to be challenged in a different way. Would you do that and move forward in your faith, courageous faith? Let's stand together as we pray. Father, we are calling upon you right now to, to speak to us, God, in a, in a really powerful way about courage and about faith and about trusting you, about seeing miracles. God, some people need to get some time back. Some people need to restore. Some people need more time. But God, we are asking you right now to, to work in our, in our midst, to work in our, in our situation, God. I want to see you move in a powerful way. God, as we, as we begin to just worship together and as we take uh, communion, as those who, who feel led to take communion, God, as we speak words of life and God, as we go to the cross with our request, God, seal in us that decision. Make us bold and courageous. Push us beyond the realm of possibility and into the realm of impossibility without God. God, we give this moment to you. We give this time to you because we love you, God, and we honor you. As this music plays, just let God speak to your heart. As you go to one of the four communion tables around this room, think about what he did. He was courageous. He died on the cross for you. He spilled his blood, and, and his courage paid off. He rose from the dead. Move as God moves you.